ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. It's Friday, January 22nd, 2016. And I am excited to introduce you to the author of a book called Stuck or Positioned. It's your choice. And Gail McWilliams uh, is our guest this morning. And she has a very, very interesting way of communicating hope, vision, and purpose through storytelling. And uh, her mission in life is to inspire others and see how they're strategically positioned. And we just want to welcome Gail this morning and listen to her story. Gail, welcome. Thank you so much. What an honor to be with you today. <laughs> well, it's an honor for me, too. Gail, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you personally? I would be glad to do that. Well, my name is Gail McWilliams, and I am here in Dallas, Texas. And I understand that you once were in Texas as well, Chickie. <laughs> Absolutely. So, for about um, 10 years. Well, it is a wonderful place to be, and especially Dallas, because there's two airports from which you can launch anywhere in the world, and that's exactly what I end up doing on a daily basis. I speak around the nation. I'm a motivational, inspirational speaker. And the backdrop of what I do is actually my personal story. Uh, Many years ago, I had a uh, childhood disease, and when I was around 13 years old or so, the doctors had told me I would never live to be 30 and I would definitely never have any children. Well, I would love to tell you that uh, doctors practice medicine, and this one got it wrong while he was practicing. (laughs) I've been married for nearly 38 years to Tony McWilliams, and um, I am beyond 30. We have five incredible children, four daughters and a son. But what happened is I had to make a choice along the way. It was when I was carrying our second child. I was nearly four months pregnant. And the doctors had seen uh, a small thing that concerned them in one of my eyes. And so I went through a day of grueling tests in a very famous hospital in the Midwest. And at the end of the day, sitting alone in the exam room, he came in to give me the results. And he said, Gail, you have to choose today between your baby or your eyes. Mm. And I must tell you that that's when I really began to understand that life is all about choices. And if I can just tell you, Chickie, that... The choices we make on a daily basis don't just impact us, but they will impact and influence generations yet to come. And when I told him I choose my baby, the doctor was just, he was incensed. He stood up, slammed shut my folder and said, what a foolish decision and left the room. I can tell you truly that literally in my darkest hour, that's when vision was birthed. It's been an evolving process. And um, when you lose your eyesight, it's really interesting. I had two choices then as well. I could be full of fear and a downward spiral that would keep me in depression, and rightly so, for the rest of my life. Or I could try to find treasures in the dark. And uh, only because of grace, I was able to make that choice. Mm. And so that was daughter two. And what's interesting, of all of our children, she's our First to be married, they live out in New York City, and she and her husband have given to us three incredible grandchildren. 
And so I am a proponent that if we must have a vision for generations yet to come. But really the question becomes, what does that look like in all of our lives? You know, each of us have a story. Each of us have faced some kind of heartache. That becomes part of our life message, part of the fabric of who we are. And so for me personally, what has developed was not only writing um, multiple books, but also speaking to people, encouraging them. And so many people say to me, Gail, how can you have so much joy and you can't see? And I ask them, how can you see and have no joy? joy. No kidding. What a great perspective. You know, what I've found is we live in a very visual world. Uh, We live life based only on what we see. And I just want to encourage you, Chickie. I know that you are a visionary, and I love hanging out with you today. But even the audience that's listening, life is not about what you can see. If you're only focused on what you see, the troubles in front of you, the obstacles, the numbers, you know, it could be very depressing and it could be limiting. But when you live life with vision, the sky's the limit. And that's really what I'm hoping we can encourage the audience today to say, what is that to live with vision? And how does that look to see life in a new perspective? Oh, that is just fabulous. And as I understand it, you, you wrote the story of your life in, in a book called Seeing Beyond. Is that correct, that that's I your did. life story? My, yes, ma'am. My first book is Seeing Beyond. Zig Ziglar did the foreword to it. Uh, it's in multiple languages and has traveled all around the globe. Um, and that I'm, I'm told it's a page turner. You can't put it down. And that's where I really got to express my whole journey. Um, and I'm very candid in the book. Then well, my and I, I love book. the cover of the book because, you know, you've got an, an individual who's sitting uh, on what looks to be, uh, you know, the edge of um, a large lake or, or uh, something, but there's the horizon often in the distance. Mm-hmm. And the subtitle of the book is Choosing to Look Past the Horizon. And, you know, I, I I am just so touched by your, not not just your story, because it's obviously uh, a very, very courageous story, um, but the ability to see when you can't see is something that, you know, we can't even understand uh, when we still do have that, that gift of sight. Well, that is so true, and I'm I'm glad we get to talk about that for a moment. Because um, I practice seeing, and I know that a lot of people don't understand that, but I don't put my head down. In fact, most people don't even know that I can't see, and that's where I get myself into trouble. Listen, I've walked out with the wrong man before. <laughs> I've, got, I've gotten in the wrong car. I've corrected the wrong children in front of their parents. That was embarrassing. I've oh turned and talked with people who are not there, and um, I've even re- reached out to hug people and you know, I've gotten the wrong body parts. That's awkward. But but I still keep reaching. You you don't give up. And you practice looking for things that maybe others can't see. Some of the advantages that I've had is that everything is not only about sight. And one of the things that I talk to top leaders across the nation, it's really about hearing as well. Right. And so, you know, we react to what we see and we've never taken the time to respond to what we hear. Mm. And when you begin to do that, when you begin to actually learn the ability of winning the heart of someone, you'll have their ears, you'll have their attention. 
And I don't, gee, I really don't know what it was that changed for me. It wasn't like, okay, I've decided I'm going to live with vision and I'll always be happy. Listen, I've had a bucket full of tears. But one thing I noticed is that fear, I mean tears, never, never change vision. It's just tears. Uh, Tears have never negated hope and they've never negated faith. It's just part of how we were made. We have emotions. And would I love to see the face of my husband? Absolutely. Uh, Good news is he's still the young man I married 38 years ago. (laughs) You know, would I love to see the faces of my children? Oh, my goodness. No words can tell you how much I would want that. And to see those faces of my grandchildren, um, you know, those that's cause to cry right there. But I got to tell you, Chickie, I'm your best friend. Like, you've never looked better. (laughs) You look great. (laughs) And I'm thin. I'm thin, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the interesting thing is I I just finished writing um, the manuscript for a book that uh, hopefully will come out later this year. And someone had challenged me to go back, you know, they they had read it through once and they said, you know, you really need to go back and do more descriptions so that that people can see your characters. And, you know, it occurred to me as you were talking about wanting to see the face particularly of your children that were born after you lost your sight and and certainly your grandchildren, um, that you get that picture in your mind from how others describe them to you, right? And, yes, and fact, the the touch and, and uh, again, those, those kinds of things. So tapping into those other senses, and, and as you said, listening is such an important part. Well, you know, Chicky, uh, congratulations on your book that's going to come out this year. Um, I have a book and my list of books that I want to write, and the title on that one is going to be, oh, Is That What You Look Like? You know, (laughs) because the truth of the matter is when I see people, I don't see what they don't have. I see potential. I see destiny. And I think that's why I'm brought in to speak for a lot of corporations and different groups is to help them see what they've overlooked. And that's sort of an interesting um, situation because there's so many people who have overlooked potential. They've overlooked what can really be possibilities in their life. And when you are only focused on the problem, that's all you see. And that problem magnifies. But when you are focused on the potential, what are obstacles? Obstacles just a growing time. Obstacles are just something you're going to work around. Obstacles are just something that it's just part of life. I don't know why we're thrown by obstacles. It's just part of life. Well, it definitely is. Well, why don't we shift gears uh, to the book for a minute. And um, so the book is called Stuck or Positioned, It's Your Choice. And on, on the cover of the book um, is a the sign that you would see when you're going to cross a busy intersection. And, you know, uh, on the top in red is the, the man standing with his arms at his side, uh, you know, hopefully patiently waiting for the light to turn green. <laughs> and then the the bottom one is the green light of the person walking. And and so, you know, it, it, in this picture, in this imagery alone, um, you can see that you do always have that choice. And when you're being urged to walk, to to be positioned for the next thing, if you're still staring at the stuck uh, red 
uh, little man with the, you know, the, the stick arms. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you don't even get to see the other picture. So why don't you tell us how how the concept for the book emerged, and um, then we'll we'll touch on some of the content. Well, first of all, I love the fact that you described the cover of the book um, because the light is at the top. Before we say stuck or position, it's your choice. And the one thing I wanted was a visual that every day in life, hopefully, Chicky, from this point on, when you're sitting at a light or ready to advance, that somewhere you will remember, hey, I'm not stuck. I've been positioned. Right. I've spoken about this for years And I really felt like I had my finger on the pulse of mankind because people would either cry or they would be moved or say, I'll never forget that word. I think one thing it does is give hope because most people in life think they're stuck. If I said to you, Chicky, have you ever been stuck? You probably have a picture that comes up in your mind. (laughs) A whole book full. (laughs) (laughs) And so most people do. But here's the problem. If you think always that you're stuck, you're going to live stuck. And that's when we become boxed in. And instead of that box, what I want people to do is be able to kick out the slack or the the sides of that box and be able to realize that it's either your launch pad or your dance floor. Absolutely. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, any time that you feel stuck, it is a squeeze. But, you know, even think about, we talked earlier about my family and the challenge of even having children. It's that birthing process for all of us. And I know men really have to wrap their heads around this. You know, what what does that feel like? Guys, you'll never know for sure. But gals, we know what it is. And it's in that squeeze, it's in that push that what? We are birthed into a harbor of potential and destiny. And that's what has to be the focus. It's not so much the stuck. And in fact... Stuck and positioned are actually, Chicky, the same place. Right. It depends right. I, on I attitude and I was going to share that on, on Sunday our pastor was talking about the story in the Old Testament of Joseph, uh, you know, who was the youngest of a, a number of brothers, and his brothers were actually incredibly jealous of him and, and at one point uh, threw him in, in a well, uh, you know, kind of to be lost forever. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the pastor was talking about how that actually, you know, Joseph could have, have taken the position that he was, uh, you know, being uh, tormented by his brothers. But really, later on in life, he got to see that that was the setup for, you know, his brothers coming back and selling him into slavery. And, and then, uh, you know, the person who bought him was actually an important person in, in the king's uh, palace, and then he ended up uh, because he decided as long as he was there, he might as well work hard. Uh, you know, he ended up coming to the attention uh, of the king and became the king's right hand. And you know, all of those things could have been looked at as as just really, really bad things in his life. But it's the same kind of thing of you know, stuck or positioned. Am I you know, I'm am I deep in this well, and I'm going to be here forever, or is this what's going to allow me to become visible to the king? Right. Absolutely. That is a great story and one of my favorites as well because the tragedy that happened to that man, but every part of it was preparing him for where he was really headed. And that was to assist ruling not just a nation, but assist in saving two nations. Right. So he is a perfect example of what we're talking about, being strategically positioned, 
if people could understand that what they're doing today is in preparation for tomorrow. See, if you feel like, say you're at work and you feel like you're stuck in that job, what if your attitude turned around and go, everything I'm doing today is preparing me for what's coming next, whether it be promotion, whether it be owning your own company, maybe it's working with another company. That's the strategic position. And so what I think is most people, Chicky, are short-sighted. And they only see today. And also, I feel like sometimes people ask me often, you know, why would you have chosen children? Why, why did you go on to have a family when the risk uh, looked like it was high? And I really think at the core of that, I'm being asked, how did you choose between convenience and legacy? And I'm afraid that we live in a culture, it's all about convenience. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it just sort of heightens that idea that I'm stuck. And the truth of the matter is, you're only stuck if you want to be. If it's the job you hate, for goodness sakes, go try to find another job. Right. Um, you know, if there's a dream that you're carrying, I, I had someone I, I highly admired, and he would talk about most people go to the grave with all of these things that have never been realized. Dreams, businesses, uh, building a house, uh, families, you, you know, name the whole long list. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my goodness, that makes sense. No wonder people live empty because they think what they carry within them can never be developed or fulfilled and isn't really the goal to live full, deposit everything in the day in which we have right now and go to the grave empty. Rob the grave of every dream that you carry. Why? Because that dream is for this hour. Right. And people can say, well, it's, it's too impossible. Um, you referred to being in church Sunday. I also am a woman of faith. And I think, wow, my very designer, he says nothing's impossible. So if it's good for him, it's good for me. Definitely. Well, you, you started out talking about being positioned. And and that, of course, is, is one of the key words in, in the title of the book. And you begin by telling the story of Ellie Weisel. Can you, can you encapsulate that and, and why open heart uh, is, is the word that you ascribe uh, to Ellie? Well, of course, uh, he experienced uh, such travesty, um, inhumane conditions with what happened through the Holocaust. And, you know, the Holocaust isn't really that far from where we are today. And what we remember, and there's still survivors from the Holocaust, uh, I think that it's in the middle of all the loss that you really understand what's of great value. And Ellie, I liked using his quote because um, even in my own life, it wasn't until I faced death that I knew how to live. It wasn't until I made a choice that was bigger than myself that I knew how to give myself away, and I found great joy in it. It was in the middle of what seemed like had been taken from me and was unfair and unjust that I really learned how to walk in mercy, and I learned how to to give other people opportunities. And it was really in my darkest hour, reaching, groping, thinking, how am I going to do this? that I really realized, wow, I can do this because um, I say often, Chicky, it's passion that fuels me and it's purpose that drives me. 
even in the worst conditions. And I thought it was a good place to start. I also tell a personal story of one day when I didn't think I could go on. At that time, we only had three children. And after they had left for school, I, I went to my bedroom and I just collapsed on the floor with my head buried in the carpet, crying for hours. You know, how could I ever be the wife my husband needed? How could I ever be the mother my children needed? And for sure, who was ever going to call me to carpool? Mm. You know, it wasn't going to happen. This wasn't my dream. This wasn't what I wanted in life. And I felt stuck. And after hours of just pouring out my heart and and then being exhausted on every level, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, I just stood up and I I quickly thought of a verse that came to mind that has been an anchor for me. And it said, Lord, you saw me when I was tossing and turning. Every tear I've ever cried, you kept in your bottle. And I think it was at that moment I just thought, no, I'm, I'm not alone. And somehow, somehow this can work for good. And, and I remember that day of full surrender to say, if this is where I am for a season, then use me. Help me to help others who appear to be visual. Help me to help them see a bigger picture than they've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And when I left the room that day, I wasn't stuck anymore. Now I was positioned. And it didn't mean that it was easier. Why do we always look for easy? The birthing of any business, going to the next level. You know, really, Chicky, we're in a world where everyone's trying to position themselves somewhere. And in the middle of all of that, what we do is we miss the moment. What can we learn in this moment that will advance us for the moments yet to come, should they come? And life's too short. It's, a, it's just a vapor. So what can we do in the middle of all of that? And, you know, one of the chapters that I talk about is the 50-yard line. And I find that that's where most people are. One day I was speaking in my first football stadium and my husband had escorted me out on the field. And on the way out, I said, uh, where, will he, where will I be standing? He said, you'll be on the 50-yard line. And all of a sudden, it came to me. I'm like, perfect. So I greeted the crowd and began my presentation. And then I just stopped and I said, I find it interesting and profound that where I'm standing today is where most people live, on the 50-yard line. They're afraid. They stand between two goals and halted between two opinions. And there they stand, not sure which direction to run. And in fact, they're afraid to make a move. They're afraid to make the decision. Because what? There could be pushbacks. Um, you know, they, they could trip. They could fall. They could fail. All of those things. And so they stand paralyzed on the 50-yard line. And the truth of the matter is, there is a goal to run after. You know what it is. And the good thing is, that goal It's just one of many goals. Begin to run after it. Don't be so consumed with what could happen. The real issue and travesty would be, what if you don't run, what could happen? Mm. You could lose out on the very thing that you're carrying. And and so to move down the field, uh, what? Yes, there's a, a goal. There's a victory. And one victory after another victory, before you know it, it's a championship. But what would be awful is to just be so overwhelmed by all the choices, be overwhelmed by what you do next that you just mosey off the field to sit in the grandstands and watch everyone else play the game of life. Mm. And my question today is what would it take for you 
to get back on the field of life and play it with all your might. You got one life. One life. Now, throughout that particular chapter, uh, you tell the stories of a lot of very, uh, very famous people. And uh, I'm going to pick two. um, One, because... uh, it, it happens to be uh, an actress that my daughter, who is 17, absolutely adores and spends a lot of time watching, and that's Lucille Ball. And and oh. for a teenager, you know, to take a look at someone who was, you know, such a brilliant comedian and, um, you know, just really left an impact on, on a whole generation. Tell me how she was on the 50-yard line. Well, the list that I make of those actors and actresses and different, even different sports people, you know, they were told they would never amount to anything, that they couldn't. It always can't. Somebody's always got a word to say can't. And my question is, can't, that's the most profane word you could ever use in your vocabulary. Um, people who were talked out of acting, you know, you don't have a chance. Maybe you should go home. Maybe you should find another career. I mean, even Michael Jordan was told to go home. You know, the the interesting thing about all of those is if you listen to everyone else around you and only wait for their approval, uh, you're going to wait too long. What is it within you that drives you? And imagine where we would be without Lucille Ball and all the episodes with Ethel, you know, <laughs> exactly. uh, Carol Burnett. Um, you know, someone that really encouraged me early on in my life was a man that I never met, and yet we were best friends. And I'm so sad I didn't get to meet him personally. When I was a little girl, I was that kind of child that never liked to go to bed at night, and I would be escorted to my room eventually after all my stall tactics. My parents would put me in the bed and say, at least you're going to rest. And they would turn out my light, close the door, and then I would wait till I knew they probably weren't coming back. And I would jump up on my mattress, and it became a platform. I would take my microphone and turn it from my hairbrush and pretend it was my microphone. (laughs) And then I would travel all around the world every night, encouraging the troops on the front lines with a man by the name of Bob Hope. And I loved that. It was more than just a little kid's dream and something to do late at night. Because one day, Chicky, I was actually standing on a platform of a very large event. It happened to be in Washington, D.C. And it came to me, oh my goodness, this is my childhood dream. This is what I've done all my life. Because there were top leaders there in the room. And I thought, here I am. My platform has expanded. I don't have my hairbrush in my hand anymore. It's a makeshift microphone. I have a real microphone. I was encouraging all the leaders, all the troops on the front lines of life with their own battles that they were facing. And I was still traveling with hope because hope always sees. Mm. So I just tie that into what you were saying that those who have been told they can't, hope is shouting, yes, you can try. And in fact, you won't know till you try. So the next chapter, uh, Gail, talks about fog. And, And so the antithesis of the vision that you got in in emulating Bob Hope and finally living that moment of having having the microphone. Well, you've lived it many times since then. Um, but then in Chapter 5, you talk about fog, and you talk about George Prince Ferry. Ah, uh, 
Do you recall the one that, story? that capsized? Yes, I do. Um, and actually, what's really very cool—that's a friend of mine. I try to find stories that actually I'm connected with as well. And uh, it was a, a morning that he was headed to the office. Is this the one you're talking about? Yes. His name is Bob. Mm-hmm. And he had left home, and he was in a hurry that day, and he was preoccupied with um, all of the appointments he had, and one was a really big one. And the further he went uh, towards the ferry that he had to cross in order to get into his office, um, he he realized that the fog was becoming more and more thick. But still, he was making his way and pretty much preoccupied with what he had to do that day. But when he got to the landing to take the ferry across the way, it was in um, the New Orleans area. When he got to that area, the he was excited because it looked like he was going to be the last car to get on. Instead, that arm came down, and there he was. Talk about stuck, because now cars had pulled in behind him. He couldn't get out. He was very mad. Um, in fact, he used some extreme profane words, which that how would that help in the middle of that crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So he knew he was going to be late. So finally, after some time, um, when it looked like the ferry wasn't coming back at the right time, he decided, um, you know, he was trying to figure out how he could maneuver his car and get down to another landing. And nothing was happening fast. So anyway, the cars behind him eventually started uh, doing the same thing Bob wanted to do. They tried to maneuver their way out of the line, turn around and go to some, some other place. So finally, Bob was free to do the same thing, and he drove like a madman in speeds that he shouldn't have during the fog to get down to the next landing. The same thing happened there. He should have gotten on the ferry, but the arm came down. He couldn't get on it again and um, just sat and sat and sat, so upset. Finally maneuvers out of that, gets on the road. He takes the road all the way around. Uh, the body of water, goes over the bridge. He's very late. He's missed his appointment. Walks in his office. He's very upset. And the secretary is shocked to see him. And she says, what are you doing here? And he just didn't even know what she was talking about. And he's, she said, we thought, we thought you were dead because that ferry that day had capsized and people were lost. Mm. And they thought he was one of them. And it was interesting, his reaction, because he didn't just um, brush by her or, you know, fluff it off. He said, I'm going to my office. Don't bother me. And he went to his office. He closed the door. And he just heard this voice within him say, pay close attention. And it really captured his attention for life. It was uh, the beginning of a transformation in his life. Oh, wow. And I I think sometimes in the fog... We think that we've missed out or we think we've been rejected, but what if it was really protection? And um, sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've ever forced open a door, Chicky. I have. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, in and fact, sure when like I lived it. in Dallas, I remember uh, there was a time when there were two jobs open uh, in, in my department, and they were both brand-new jobs that had been created. And one of them was a training manager job and got kind of the coveted 
larger cubicle, you know, the larger gray cubicle yeah. in the sea of gray cubicles. Uh, and then the other one um, was actually investigating a new product, and and I didn't get the manager job, and I was very, uh, very upset about that. But what I did get was this job that uh, launched me as an intrapreneur, which was building businesses with someone else's money, a large amount of someone else's money, uh, with the safety of a paycheck. And then, uh, of course, that launched me into my own entrepreneurial journey, which I'm still on today. Amazing. So let me ask you, can we just flip this around? Can I interview you a minute? Oh, sure. When you were feeling disappointed, you didn't get that quote-unquote position. How long did it take for you to see that you'd really been protected and not rejected? Well, I think every day I look back, and in fact, on on many of my radio shows uh, over the course of the last eight years, I've talked about those days, not that particular day, but those days of being in corporate life. And and I didn't realize until I left corporate America that um, I wasn't one of them. Right, I always felt like an outsider, and and I had this kind of lingering feeling that I didn't belong. But you know, uh, again, kind of going back to the Joseph story, it wasn't that I was being outcast; it was that I was born for something different and something greater. And so now that I'm outside of that world, in fact, I just last week, last Friday, I celebrated my 20-year anniversary of having my own company, my own consulting Congratulations. firm. And, you know, in the midst of that, I've birthed uh, about 10 different companies, again, some within the safety of other companies like LasVegas.com, which we, we built for two major casino companies, and then uh, two technology companies of my own, one of which I'm working on right now. And and so, uh, again, I think I, I do a lot of retrospective, but not from um, pouting about the past, but really using the past and, and various failures mm-hmm. as teacher. Well, let me ask you another question. Uh, by the way, you're an awesome guest. A thin, beautiful, (laughs) awesome guest. (laughs) Shiki, did you by chance learn any skills or uh, advance what you do now? Did you learn any of those while you were in corporate America? Oh, completely. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you talked about being prepared uh, with your current role in, in what you're going to be doing, Absolutely, that's true. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i a college dropout, so I had never been to business school. I didn't have the MBA uh, that is now pretty much a requirement in companies like American Airlines and Sabre. Um, and so I learned to write business plans, and I learned to do business research, and I learned to negotiate. And uh, had I not had those jobs, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. I love that. Well, one of the chapters is called uh, gratefulness. And it seems like what we fail to do when we think we're stuck or we think there's no answers or we can't get out of where we are, uh, we're not grateful for how we even got to the point where we are. You know, it seems like there's been people along the way who have either given us a boost or have opened a door. Um, I love the chapter Butler. Because just when you think every door is locked, there will be someone that comes into your life that opens a door that you didn't even know existed. And sometimes I think if we could just be a little bit more grateful for how we're even where we are now, 
uh, it turns things around because two things happen. One, you want to reach back and do the same to other people. Hey, how can I help you? How can I open the door for you? Who do I know that you should know? And there's something about just being joyful in that while you're waiting for things to turn around. The other thing is to put your arm around someone that is equal to you or a comrade and just to encourage them. Hey, what are you struggling with the most? Is there anything we can talk about? How can I, how can I help you? You know, can I be someone that you could be accountable to as you develop your dream? And before you know it, you don't feel like you're stuck anymore because you're, you're really proactive in doing something else. I tell the story about the man in Abilene who came into the Chick-fil-A one day and he put $1,000 down on the counter which made the young cashier's eyes just bug out. And uh, he said, sir, how can I serve you? And the gentleman said, I want you to take this $1,000 and I want you to pay for as many people as you can who, can, who are coming through the drive through today. Well, the domino effect, I mean, everyone that was coming through the drive through it was a surprise. No one had any idea that their lunch was going to be taken care of. Some people laughed, some people cried, some people couldn't believe it. Some people were just in shock. Some people, it was like no big deal. They didn't even say anything, hardly mm-hmm. said a thanks. And that happened for 80-some cars that day. You know, I, I love the whole idea of paying forward. And I think there are things that you can do in the middle of when you're feeling like you're stuck to still give yourself away. And you know the one thing it does, Chicky, it's developing people skills and you and leadership skills. A leader is never about himself, and in fact, mm-hmm. those leaders that are about themselves, we all react to. Oh, But a really fantastic leader has a vision for the whole team all around them. And then the other idea is in that stuck area is not only reaching back and reaching to the side of you, but reaching forward to be mentored by people, you know, to, to find new skills that you don't have. And people could say, well, I don't have the money to do that. I can't bring on a personal coach. Listen, there's so much on the Internet. <laughs> or do a radio show every Friday at noon and talk to the, <laughs> the best authors in the country. <laughs> yeah, listen to Chicky every Friday, absolutely. But, or or be all... Chicky because, you know, this, this uh, for people who don't know uh, about the whole radio show infrastructure, I mean, you can choose to be on a terrestrial radio network, and typically they have you pay them for the privilege of being on the radio. But on Blog Talk Radio and doing a show like I do with uh, simply doing the interviews over the phone, I mean, you may have the occasional teenager in the background getting ice out of the ice machine when you're in the middle of your interview. <laughs> but really, uh, there there is very little cost involved. So, and And it's really been amazing to me to understand the the reach that I could have out to interview people uh, that I never would have thought of. I mean, I, I'm a Shark Tank fanatic, and we were able to get Barbara Corcoran to come on the show. And, awesome. Uh, you know, we've just we've interviewed just some really really amazing individuals, and and anyone can do it. That's the amazing thing. That's right. I I think again we're back to the word can't. You know, it's terrible if someone's playing in your own mind a tape where someone early on in your life said, you'll never amount to much, you can't do that, sort of like when we were talking about Lucille Ball a moment ago. Um, You know, this field isn't for you. I like what you said when you were in corporate America here in Texas. You know, there was something bigger in you that was being birthed, being developed for sure. 
And that's what we need to look for. And I, you know, I do a seminar on this very thing, Specker position. And I, is all I do is ask some leading questions and bring them to a point to say, okay, what is it that's within you that you've buried? You know, first of all, let's bring it up because it does have potential at least. It has value to look at. And what are the steps? And one of the steps I ask is, what is the biggest struggle that keeps you paralyzed from moving forward? I love this. People say, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. I go, great, you should. The first time I said that to someone, they laughed at me. You know, they said they were thinking, I'm sure, well, you can't see. How would you write a book? They had no idea of special software. I, I don't do ghostwriting. I don't drag and drop. I actually write because of some software. Guess what? I had to learn a whole new system. I had right. to buy different kinds of uh, things that were expensive. But I was determined. I had something to say. And so I could either go by the person who laughed at me, who had no vision, or just push through. And that's what I want people to push through. But those who say, I'm going to write a book one day, I'll, I'll ask them, great, what is that you're writing now? Oh, well, nothing. Uh, I'll say, well, have you written a sentence? Do you have an outline? Have you, can you write a paragraph? What about an email? What about a blog? I mean, right. start. Just start with something. And the other thing is I'll ask them when they say, yeah, I've written down a few things. I'll say, great. Um, where would I find your book? If I were at the bookstore, what aisle would you point me to? Hmm. You know, it's putting really feet to all of that. And who's your targeted audience? What is it that you hope at the end of the day? Same way when I speak to uh, people and coach them about speaking. Any speaker that's out there, it seems like so many just have this canned speech. I'll always have similar threads through my presentations, but never a canned speech. I think that's insulting. Right, uh, right. I want to customize it for the group that I do. I, I love people. My passion's leaders. So when I go to speak for an audience, I love that because I always have in mind where am I taking off from and where am I landing? Haven't you heard people before where they have a great intro? They know where they're taking off from, sort of, except <laughs> it's where they took off from five years ago, too. Right. And then they just get to talking and they never have a landing point. You want to go, land, put it down somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny as you were talking about the book aisle. Um, because I had been interviewing uh, people for a long time, you know, I, I'll go to the library or go to the bookstore, and I was always intimidated by the sheer volume of titles of, of what's available. And uh, as as my listeners have heard, I'm always a, a sucker for a great cover. So, you know, sometimes uh-huh. something will jump out at me uh, from that perspective. And, and the book that was my catalyst for writing my book, I actually came across, um, I believe it was seven or eight years ago, and I was at a meeting with Panasonic in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and the meeting had gone late, and then I was in a hurry on my way to the airport, and I got a speeding ticket. And then by the oh, time no. I got to the airport, the the flight was delayed. And so I walked into the bookstore, and this book almost jumped into my hands, and it was called The Go-Giver uh, by uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite yes. authors, Bob Berg and, uh, yes. and John David Mann. And... From the moment I finished that book, the aisle that I knew I would be in, if there were such an aisle, was a business allegorical novel. 
And so sure enough, um, that book was germinating in me. I believe it had to have been subconsciously because mm-hmm. I sat down back in February and I wrote the entire book in three days. And now I've gone back since and, you know, done a lot sure. of massaging to it and just finished it a couple of days ago. Um, you know, but it was so interesting that it really was that decision of the genre um, that came mm-hmm. first. And, you know, I want to jump ahead uh, to two chapters that you've got. You just uh, okay. kind of alluded to the, the flight metaphor, and you talk about flights, and you also talk about delays. <laughs> well, it's interesting to me as you were telling that story. You were rushing. I'm sure you were stressed out. The meeting's late. You get a ticket, and you get to the airport, and what happened to your flight? <laughs> it was delayed. <laughs> delayed. Wow. Now, obviously, that doesn't always happen. There are flights we miss. But I've always noticed that any flight that I've missed because of things out of my control, it's always been strategic because of the person I'm sitting next to. Mm, yes. I have made more friends on a plane. I've done more coaching on a plane. And I've even gotten speaking engagements from people I've met on a plane. And that's just one area in life. I'm wondering if we overlook what could actually happen in the delays. It's only a delay because it's your agenda. Is that true? Yes. Now, (laughs) I know that, you know, there are appointments that we have to get to. And listen, everybody's got overbooked lives. Everybody's got somewhere they've got to be, and they're probably 10 minutes late for it. But I'm wondering if we took time in the middle of the delays to go, okay, what's happening here? Is it like my friend Bob, who his life was saved because his car couldn't get on the ferry? Or is it someone that we're to meet? Or is it just a nice little reminder that, listen, you're not in control of everything? (laughs) And I think that if we can, um, you know, the the phrase long time ago, smell the roses along the way. My goodness, who's got time to even notice there's any roses anywhere? Right. But it's it's in the middle of the delays. I don't know. I've got to tell you this, Chickie. This is a little bit off the subject, but sort of close to it. When you were talking about the airport, one day I was headed to Wisconsin, and I was at the gate, and I had turned to talk to my husband, and I was telling him the story. I was even animated. I used my arms when I was talking, and and uh, he was quiet, but I didn't think much of that because he's a great listener, one of my greatest fans. But what I didn't know is he'd walked over to the ticket counter to check on our tickets, so I'm actually talking to no one. <laughs> Until the gentleman next to me said, ma'am, who are you talking to? (laughs) Well, I just turned to him. I just flashed a smile and I said, oh, I speak for a living. I'm just practicing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's really in those moments where, um, you know, of course, it could have been embarrassing. But what it did was brought up a great point. All of us have dead space in life. What are we practicing? You've been practicing this book that's been germinating, your words, in you that you've been thinking about. You've been practicing something that's moving towards the dream. A lot of people are practicing nothing. That's why amusement's so great because you put your your brain in neutral or so people think amusement's great. But a brain in neutral is never moving towards the dream and the potential right. that's within you. Right. Applying yourself. Another story, one day I was standing in the airport and, I think because I don't see, I'm, I'm grown to be more uninhibited. And there was a man next to me, and I just said, I never even said, hi, my name's Gail, what's yours? 
I just looked at him and I said, what do you do with your life? And he said, excuse me? And I said, what do you do with your life? And he said, do you mean what do I do? And I said, no, what do you do with your life? And he just (laughs) sort of stammered a minute and he said, ma'am, I've never been asked anything that deeply. And I just said, that's okay, I can wait. And I did. You know, I think that we overlook people around us. Whether we ever meet them again, whether they ever become a friend or not, what gift do you bring to the world and what would keep you from giving it everywhere that you are? Mm. Mine happens to be encouragement. And also somebody asked me the other day, Gil, who are you really? And I thought for a minute and I said, I'm a via. You know, a via is a road or a pathway. Right. And that's who I am. I'm a via. I'm a visionary that inspires action. I love that you have a dream, Chickie. But to die with that dream would be terrible. You need to be inspired, take action, and let's see who it will, who it will impact, not only today, but for generations yet to come. Right, right. You know, I want to jump ahead. Uh, you've got a chapter called Puzzled. And, you know, we've talked about physical limitations of of your blindness, which was actually, uh, as you pointed out early on, it was a choice. And one of the people that you talk about in in that Chapter 25, Puzzled, is Joni Erickson. um, And I can never remember, is it Tada or Tada? Yeah, it's Johnny Erickson Tada. Right, okay. And I, I knew of her when I when I very first um, became a, a Christian as a 16-year-old, complete rebel daughter of a, a minister, and that's a whole mouthful for another wow. day. But uh, you know, she she book. had just published her one of her first books uh, around that time. So, uh, what what was your encounter, and why did you choose her for that that chapter called Puzzle? Well, I love Johnny. In fact, Johnny has written a forward to a new book that's coming out, hopefully Mother's Day for me, and it's called Hope Sees. Mm. Hope Always Sees Beyond. But uh, Johnny and I became immediate friends. We actually met in Nashville one year. We were both at the NRB um, convention. I have a radio show across the nation, and of course she has a radio show that's been fantastic. But for people who don't know, Johnny had a diving accident. Can you imagine being so athletic, so young, diving accident that leaves you as a quadriplegic? And Johnny literally runs circles around everyone else because she never stopped. And back in the day, she was even in a, one of those iron lungs. She would have to hang upside down. I mean, just terrible things. But still, she had a desire to live. And I remember, I know this gentleman well, too. Uh, he had come to see Johnny that day. Here she is hanging upside down in a lung, um, iron lung, um, whatever that capsule is called. And mm-hmm. he said, Johnny, have you ever thought about doing a radio show? Now, Chicky, think about it. Wouldn't you want to come in and say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, all your dreams have been shattered and maybe we can find something for you to listen to. Instead, he put a vision in front of her to give herself away, and she's gone on to build several foundations and organizations and helps other people. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she's the oldest living quadriplegic. quadriplegic. Really? 
Mm-hmm. She's in her 60s at wow. this point. But I, I want to say this about Johnny. You'll never find anyone that's got a bigger heart, a big laugh, uh, eyes of kindness. And the thing is, what she deals with, same with me, it's 24-7. It's not just some kind of gimmick to get more speaking engagements. It's a lifestyle. What we're sharing today isn't just something that, you know, can pep you up for the day. No, this is a lifestyle. We know it to be proven and true. And it's irrefutable. That there's a joy that can take us, even in the times of really the puzzle is when people say, why do good things happen or why do bad things happen to good people? Right. You know, and also could be asked, why do good things happen to bad people? I mean, sometimes it's all a puzzle. Right, right. And I find that with the questions that I can't answer, like, God, why me? Why why did it take so much to have a family? Why was there such a major price paid? Why the loss? Why did I even have courage that day to make the right decision? All those things I can't really answer. And so I chose to spend my energy on the things that I could do. And the questions that I don't understand, I just leave those for another day when maybe there'll be an answer. Mm. In that same chapter, I talk about a really tender story of a woman in Colorado who um, knew the moment that she gave birth to her child, her child would die. And yet she felt life of the baby within the womb. That story makes me cry every time. That little baby went on to save uh, her mommy's life. I mean, that's an incredible story. That's worth the whole book. Also in that same chapter, I talk about my own mom, who in her 70s was carjacked. Her back was broken in two places. She was left to die. Um, What a horrible, horrible experience. My mom just turned 81. She still walks. Uh, She has joy. She has purpose. She and my dad both. My dad, because of one of my seminars, at 77, decided, you know what, maybe I should write. And he just finished his fourth book. Wow. Not only leaving a legacy for his children and his grandchildren, but touching other young leaders. I mean, incredible. So what what could you do? What could any of us do? Well, Gail, I this hour has just flown by. and uh, we, I've we loved need- it, Chicky. Yeah, me too. And I've never been interviewed before on my own show, so thank you for that. Um, Gail, before we close, uh, I would love for you to tell folks the best way to reach you, whether they want you to speak at one of their events or you know, they would like to read your blog. Uh, how do they get you? Well, thank you, Chicky. You can go to gailmcwilliams.com, and that's G-A-I-L, gailmcwilliams.com. There you can find the book uh, that tells our story, Seen Beyond, with the forward by Zig Ziglar, or the newest book, Stucker Positioned, It's Your Choice, and then um, be watching for the new one in the spring with Johnny Erickson Tata doing the forward to the book called Hope Sees. Oh, that's and great. Well, you make sure to let us know when it's out because we will definitely have you back and have you talk to us about that. Thank you. I'd love to do that. And, Chicky, I want to tell you, I have a new podcast show that's about to be uh, launched this spring, and I'd love to have you as a guest. 
Oh, I would love that? that. It has, you know, the last time I was a guest on somebody's radio show was was two weeks before I launched my own show, and I actually launched. I was doing twelve a week uh, that first year, wow. and uh, and and you know ended up having to cut back just because I didn't realize how much production work was involved in just the marketing of the show and and uh, you know getting everything posted and at the time I didn't have the producer uh who I have now and I don't know what I would do without Patty she has just been amazing. Um uh, so yeah, I would love to do that, Gail. Well, I admire your vision. I admire what you're doing and I just want to tell you keep writing your book. I'm sure it's going to be a bestseller. But even beyond that, Chicky, I'm sure there's more yet to come. But we'll talk well, about that absolutely. when I interview Absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely <laughs> can. And hopefully uh, by that time I will have found a publisher and, and uh, gotten that whole process underway. So, Gail, thank you so, so much for thank your time. You. And uh, I hope you have an amazing weekend. Uh, the sun has just come out here in Tampa. We, we've had kind of a rainy, gloomy morning, but it looks like well, it's going to turn into a beautiful afternoon. There's the sign we've been looking for. And I would <laughs> Absolutely. Say, and I would say to everyone, looking to everyone listening today, hey, listen, when you choose to look past the horizon, the sky's the limit. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, Gail, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, And for those who'd like to learn more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, we have just relaunched our uh, website, but because that's not my day job, uh, there may still be a few broken links on the site. But please go check out uh, our, our site and our older shows and If you feel so inclined, uh, please join us as a member. We also have a private Facebook group uh, where we post uh, the upcoming shows so that you can join us uh, live and listen and ask questions of our guests. So thanks again, and we will see you next week. See you soon. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald. <laughs>